Well, what I want to do this morning is to, once the stragglers have turned up, what I want to do this morning is uh, to carry on partly where Pastor Tony's been going on, the discovering of knowing God. I want to change direction a little bit from where we've been. And um, let's see how it goes. I'm going to do things maybe slightly different, which is normally my, my way anyway to do things slightly different. But what I want to talk about this morning, I want to bring us into the aspect of the children's bread. OK, so this morning, the children's bread. Now, what I'm going to do is because of time and because I've got a bunch of things I want to say, I'm not going to be waiting for you to turn to the scriptures. So I will just quote them. And if Dave can just put them, list them as you go, you can find them at later date. Of course, they're always available on podcast or wherever. So let's just move so we can keep a pace going. So I want to start with where Tony started off last week was in Psalm 121 verses one and two. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, there was something that I know I was always taught as a kid, and I'm sure you were taught as well. The same. Your parents were like mine. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Everybody has an opinion about something. And, you know, but God is not held by your or my opinion. He's held, he's held by what he declares about himself in his word. You know, but his word is so um, trying to think of the right context for it. It's all encompassing. But if you and I were to live a thousand lifetimes, we would only ever touch the very tip of the iceberg of what is God, who he is to us, what he does. He's all sufficient. He's all powerful. To him, there's no end. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. It's the things that he reveals to us that enable us to walk through into a different dimension. It says in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 21. He said the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. His word is that open book that it's not just a history document. It's not just um, a list of stories. It is not um, a historical kind of recollection that goes from generation to generation. His word is, is actually a love story to us. It's where he reveals himself. It's where he shows his heart, where he shows his desires. It's where he pours himself out. It's where he tells you some of his secret thoughts. It's where he, he kind of just expresses himself in different ways, where you'll see his heartbeat, his nature, how he feels, his passions. All of these things are revealed to us. So maybe when we start to just read the word, start to see it also in a different facet. And that facet is that this is God's love letter to you. He's revealing his very heartbeat of where he's at. We only have ever seen a very tiny facet of who he is. And it's so easy for us to settle as we walk with God and as we become further along in the tooth, as the saying would go, that we settle for living in ignorance of who he is, believing that what we know and what we understand is sufficient. There is always more to know. There is always a greater aspect and revelation of who he is that he's trying to show us and he's trying to bring us into. If we only ever see him as Father God um, and see him as that, then it's so easy to lose every other attribute to who he is. 
and what he can do. In that Psalm 121 where he started, he said he is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There was already two facets and dimensions put in one sentence. He is the Lord, the Lord being the mighty one. He is the maker, speaks of his creative ability and his formative state. So he is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We just make those two things, but it shows you two facets. He is all powerful in one dimension. And then the next one, it's his creative ability. He is the maker. So whatever he says, again, by his word, John tells you in his gospel, doesn't he, that all things were created by his word and outside of his word, nothing was created. Everything exists by the speaking of the power of his voice. We've just heard from that song, The Champion, when it turns around and says all things come that when we speak that authority that we have in our voices, that when we use the name of Jesus, something changes. That word that we carry is so great. But we see things. So we've just said that the father God, the creator God, the maker God, the Lord God. Isaiah 33 and verse 32 says he is our king. He's our judge and he's our lawgiver. Again, we have to find the word to find what aspects we find of God. We understand him. And this is discovery to say that, yes, he is judge. Why is he righteous? Why is righteousness and justice the foundation of his throne? Because he is the king. He is the judge. He is the lawgiver. And because of that, he's even handed. And so his throne is established on justice. His throne is established on righteousness because of the the nature and character of who he is. And all of this is being revealed through his word to you and I. You know, we find ourselves in awkward times, but yet the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost, they're not in lockdown. They're looking to take you and I into a greater level of intimacy, a greater level of depth while we walk with him in the garden. And not just for a love kind of chamber experience that's just personal to you and to I, but that you and I can find a different facet and dimension of God that will allow us to carry his word in deed and in action and reveal him as the awesome God into our communities, into our families and those around us. Now, this is where I want to do things slightly different. I'm not giving you a history lesson, but what I want to do is set a backdrop. So I can't ask for your opinion. So if you nod, it's fine because it doesn't matter because I'm doing it anyway. But I'm just going to say that what I want to do is give you a little bit of a backdrop of a um, let's punctuate and invade history slightly. You're probably aware of the name Spartacus. If I all said Spartacus, we're there. I am Spartacus. We can all raise our hands. No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. Spartacus broke out into the Roman Empire. He had his army of 100,000 slaves. They broke out across the Italian peninsula for two years. They trying to find their freedom, trying to break away from the Romans. And what happened was, is the Roman generals came along and there was Creus and there was Pompey. The two generals, they came together and they were able to defeat Spartacus and they crushed the slave army. Now, what happened was, is that right across their Roman peninsula, there has now been unrest. And so what Rome did, Rome went to different places to reinforce its power and its authority. This is how they then invade Jerusalem and become their mighty iron fist in Jerusalem because of what Spartacus and the slaves had done. 
So they invade Jerusalem and they take over. They're completely they've got everything. So they say they take over every scenario. They rule it. They govern the religious authorities. They bring in their practices and they move to say that there can never be a voice outside of the Roman voice. Never again will there be a voice that rises above Caesar, because at this time they'd already dictated that Caesar was the voice of God, that Caesar was God. So when he spoke, that was why when they turned around and said to Paul, so you say that this Jesus is above Caesar. No one could be above Caesar. So they brought this kind of um, mentality to hold everything down, to crush and to bring people back to nothing because it was afraid that if people found their voice and joined together, they would overthrow the Roman nation. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a backdrop to where something is. Now, in that time, the Jewish people of the day had a passion and a desire to be free, like all of us would. If suddenly we had an invading force, we'd suddenly want to be free again. The things that we take for granted, you'd want back. So there's a cry in the hearts of the people to get back what they have. They want freedom back. They no longer want the, to be dominated by the Romans and by their pagan practices, the oppressiveness of Herod who became party with the Roman culture to keep his own position, he kind of cowed out to the Romans and did whatever they wanted to do. So he reigned and crushed the people down so he could keep his own position. And this is the backdrop to the birth of Jesus Christ. So there's all of these things that's going on. The people are oppressed. They're being crushed. They can't do what they want. There's social unrest. There's religious unrest. There's political unrest. Everything. It's a kind of melting pot for everything coming to the surface. Now, add to that for 400 years, God had been silent. There had been no prophet since Malachi up to this period of time where God had turned around because the people had walked away from him. Their hearts had become cold that God is silent and all of these things oppresses the nation, then God decides to turn up on the scene. So God starts to break out. Now, as we just said, there is a time of political, religious, social unrest. Everything's being pressed down. The Romans brought their pagan practices and they ruled with the iron hand. For 400 years, we've just said, there's been no prophetic voice. The Pharisees and all of these splinter groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, everything else in this this governing body held their own ground because they don't want to be pressed and have their authority removed from them. So they're already known for giving and taking bribes. There is now at this offset two high priests in place at one time. There could only ever be one high priest. But because one wouldn't yield to the other, there was two high priests at the same time, Annas and Caiaphas, a two high priests who were continually banging heads together in that situation. And there was already rebellion afoot. There is already things moving. When you see and you hear that when Jesus was standing before Pilate, the people cried for Barabbas. There was a prisoner that once a year they was able to release one prisoner as to who was going to be. That was a sign of a good deed to the people. And the people asked for Barabbas. But Barabbas was the one who had already started the rebellion to overthrow the Romans. So in all of this, as we're saying, it's pushing back 
everything's going on. There is rebellion. The, the whole religious state is upside down, as we said, with two high priests. The Pharisees are trying to hold the people and trying to keep what they can and not just allow it all to fall into pagan practices. So let me read something to you that you may know and I'm sure that you've heard of. If not part of it, all of it, you've certainly heard parts of it. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief time. It was a time of belief. It was a time of incredulity, meaning the ability or the unable or unwilling to believe. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going to heaven. We're all going in the opposite direction. In short, it was a period just like this one. That was Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities from 1896. Sounds very much like we've just been reading the news from last night, doesn't it? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We're wise. We're foolish. We break things. We believe. We don't believe. It's a time of light. It's a time of despair. It's a time of hope. We believe. We don't believe. We're all going to heaven. We can all go to hell. It's that situation of everything being upside down. But these are the very times in history when God invades. Just as we have turned around and said that where Israel was in that position where they were being held by the Romans, they're being held by Herod, where everything's upside down, religious, politically, society wise, everything was upside down. God has these moments where he arrests our very attention of a nation and God gets to be able to break through. God wants to punctuate the silent years again with a prophetic voice. Now, let me declare this to you from John chapter one, verses 21, uh, sorry, 22 to 23 says this. Then they said to him, who are you speaking of John the Baptist, that you may give an answer to those who senses? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. He's not a voice. He's the voice. And he's, this voice is not a noise. Now, when uh, Joseph was in Egypt, they made this statement. They turn around and says that, sorry, it wasn't, it was Moses. Moses when he's Egypt. He says that Moses was a voice, but Pharaoh was a noise. There is so much noise. There is so much white noise that's going around us of so many things being said. There is a voice still speaking. God is still speaking from his throne. He's still clear. He's still precise. He's telling us where we're going. We're not held by surprise. Everything that God has been saying to us in the last 12 months as the Dream Center as a house, preparation processes, where we're coming from, being with him in the garden, finding the intimacy, being the becoming the demonstration, everything, when you put them end to end, all of these things make sense. If you get one subject on its own and stand it on, put it on a shelf, it doesn't say anything. Become the move, be the demonstration. Sounds like a great catch line. Stick it on a T-shirt. 
But when you put that with everything that was being said before, when we said about the Song of Solomon, how my beloved, how he worked with you, how he took your heart and he took my heart, how he was dealing with us. Even if you remember before lockdown and I say before lockdown, we had our authentic night where we brought you the prophetic word that the cow, the age of the fat cow was coming to an end. We were coming to a time where there was going to be financial. There was going to be the financial crash. We were coming to a situation of things being hard. We were coming to the lean years. We'd said, didn't we? We told you that at the start of the I think it was probably February when we did that authentic night preparing you and at that time we go well that's a bit bleak Phil that sounds like don't be wishing that on us where are we now and where are things going it was the best of times it's the worst of times but everything we've got we're being held in position excuse me so John was able to make a straight path in a crooked world at a crooked time it said of John, let me just take a drink. It was said of John and his disciples historically that at this time that he probably baptized around a million people into the baptism of repentance. That when everything was being squashed, when the Romans were pressing in, socially everything was falling over. Religion had no voice. It had nothing to be able to say because it was waiting for the true voice of God to speak. There was a cry in the hearts of the people that when a true voice raised in the nation and started to speak, people responded to it. It was I am the voice. It's not just a voice. We're not just a Twitter feed. We're not just an Instagram generation. It's not. Snapchat. We're not just throwing out 200 characters and hoping it sticks like Donald. We're a position of a people that get to speak the very thoughts of God. And we have this voice that starts to break into a dark situation. So let me change tack for you. Read you a scripture. Because the facet that I want to bring of God this morning when I talk about the children's bread is to bring two things. I want to show you that as God is revealed, this God that is revealed at this time is a God of restoration and he is the God of healing. So let me read you a scripture. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and heard and urged him, send her away. Get rid of her. She's doing our flipping heads in. For she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Help me, Lord, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your your request is granted and your daughter was healed at that moment. Many things fall into that one scripture. We turn around and say that this woman who was a Canaanite woman, 
Now, remember, Canaanite, she's not an Israelite. She is not party to the covenant. There is no covenant promise to her. She's heard of and she's seen what Jesus is doing. She calls out to him, Lord, son of David. So she calls on that attribute from Psalm 121, even though she's not part of the covenant. Lord, the powerful one. She calls on him. Have mercy on me. So she's crying out to the facet of his mercy, God's merciful heart. She brings that situation and he says, I'm here. I'm not going to give you the children's bread. So the context of this message this morning was the what is children's bread? Healing is children's bread for those who will sit in the covenant. It's not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, here's some things. Here's a woman who we said she's a Canaanite. So that's a Greek and Phoenician. She's not part of the covenant. She recognizes who he is. She sees him as Lord and she moves towards him. She cries out. So there is her own voice responds to him crying into his heart and she asks for healing. She then breaks out and says that it's even the crumbs that we can eat from the table because she teased two things. The faith allowed her to step into a new dimension. And the dimension was this, that Jesus was healer and had the power to heal. Secondly, even a crumb from the king's table is sufficient. Now, you and I sit in a position whereby you and I can eat from the banqueting table. Now, we have a banqueting table that's set before us that we can eat from. This huge, just think of that for a moment, a banqueting table. Many of us would already be planning for Christmas, the Christmas meal. You might have your lockdown bubble. These four of you, these six of you, these eight of you, these two households, you've got it all going on. And you're thinking, right, we've got the turkey. Will they have a second meat? Do we do roasters? Of course we do roasters. Now, is it carrots and sprouts? Are we going to put some bacon? You're doing everything. You're planning how that table will look. So you just think for a moment, the banqueting table, which is placed before you and I. But yet this woman turned around and said, even a crumb from that table is sufficient to bring the healing that I need. And that position that she also holds is there are two instances that when you read the gospel, when Jesus turned around and said, I have not found faith like this. One is this woman who, as I said, was not part of the covenant. She's a she's a Canaanite. She's a Greek, Greek and Phoenician. The other one is the centurion, a man who turned around and said, just send the word. I'm a man under authority and I know that all you need to do is speak and the word will come to me. It will make my servant well. Two people who were not part of the covenant were able to tap into the dynamic of who God and who Jesus Christ was. Their faith moved to be able to see just one facet of who he was. Two people who wasn't part of the covenant. How many people in this time are already crying out to God, not knowing who the Christ is? And God is still reaching out to them in their times of despair, 
in their bedrooms, in their places of isolation, wherever they are, he's still reaching out because his heart is still to touch the people. You might have the banqueting table, but there are crumbs falling every day that are snippet, snippets that people are finding. But yet where you and I can start to be carriers of hope, get ready for when the people turn around and say, can I have crumbs from the table that you feed from? It's an awesome place. So this healing that we're looking for is children's bread. Children's bread is a stable. It's a staple of everything that we are. You know, it's, Jesus gives the parable, doesn't he? He said, you know, if, if a child asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. Bread is something that is asked for. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from it, from the mouth of God. It's our daily allowance to have the healing bread of Jesus Christ. But yeah, I believe there's a word that is going to be put into our dictionaries. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, they always get new words, don't they? And they kind of add them to the dictionary. So this year, you know that COVID is going to be a new word that will be added to the dictionary. A word that I think will be added this year is flip flop. How many times have you heard the term this year, flip flop? Oh, they flip flop from from positions or opinions. It was this. Now it's that. Now it's this. Now it's that. Oh, it's lockdown. No, it's not lockdown. Now it'll be six months. No, it'll be three months. No, your business will go on. No, it won't go on. And it's called flip flopping where you flip from one position to the next. Now, an ideal scenario or an example of this of flip flopping is when Jesus met the woman at the well. She turns around and she defines different things. Now, she says in her conversation, just read it. If you read the scripture for yourself, you see that when Jesus comes and asks her for water, she turns around and she says, you're a Jew. Then as he starts to say some more, she says, you're a teacher. Then moving from a teacher, she said, I perceive that you're a prophet. Then from the prophet, he turns around and tells her about how many husbands that she's had, that she's had five husbands. The man that she lives with now is number six and that he being number seven was the man who could actually set her in order. She sees him as the Messiah and runs back to the town to come and see a man who told me all these things. So she flip flopped from you're a Jew, you're a teacher, you're a prophet, you're a Messiah. You're the answer to my city and not just mine. It's the flip flopping of opinion as you start to see him in different ways. When you do things, there's a term that I love. It's it's actually the the name of an album from Chris Rea. But I love the context and the, the light the, the name of the album is this is new light through old windows that many of us have an old window. But this morning, God wants to send new light through your window again. Showing fresh revelation, showing you fresh insight, giving you fresh understanding of who he is and where his heart is towards you. Now, this is where, again, I want to do something slightly different. This is my way. I'd like you, if you would, just to close your eyes for a moment. So if you just close your eyes for a moment, because I want to I want you to picture a scene and I want you to use your imagination so this is where your brain can start to fill in all the gaps. OK, so I want you to picture a scene, the scene of we're now in Jerusalem. There's all these people that are around Jesus. He's just had a call. The 
one of the religious leaders has just come to him, Jairus, and has turned around and said, my daughter's dying. So Jesus goes on his way to the house. So on the way to the house, there's Jairus, there's members of the family, there's the disciples, they're the lovers of Jesus, the haters of Jesus. There are the nosy ones. There is everybody who wants to find Jesus are all in one thong. They're all in one crowd. They're all being pressed down narrow streets trying to make their journey to one place. So think of the cries, picture in your head, the people crying out to him. There is the smells, there's the market traders, there's the beggars en route. There's people crying for mercy in different areas. There's all of this going out that, that's going on and he's pressing to that moment. And in that moment, in all of that that's going on, think of your worst days of, of, of being at a sale. Those guys who've been to a football match on a big day when you're being carried by the crowd, where it almost feels if you stop walking, everybody else will carry if your feet came off the ground. You're being moved with this throng of people. And then breaks out this scenario. And a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up and in the crowd behind him and touched his garment. For she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garments, I will be well. And immediately the issue of blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus, perceiving himself the power from him, had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be cured of your disease in that moment of everybody pressing through of all the crowd wanting his attention oh everything was there there is this woman anemic she's weak she's already in fear she's not supposed to be out the house she's ceremonially unclean she pulls a veil across her face so that no one could recognize her and she pushes and she reaches and you can see her arm pushing through the bodies just to touch him she's not even saying can you stop and pray for me she's not even saying i just need him to speak to me her very cry is she said to herself if I can but touch his garment, I don't even need his hand. I don't need to stroke his face. It's not like the oil down Aaron's head and his beard. I just need to touch his garment. If I touch his garment, I will be well. And in that moment, a divine transaction took place. So just think of it. There she is in that moment pressing through she's touched him jesus knowing i think it's one scripture turns around or one translation says that virtue had left him and he said who touched me and the disciples you can just imagine it uh, who touched me we're in a crowd we're trying to be your personal bodyguard here keeping everybody away giving you some space and you know that you touched him 
Now, here's the thing. We can bump into Jesus all day long and nothing happen. Or we can reach out in faith and see a transaction take take account there. But why? And I ask myself this question. Why did she say to herself, if I can but touch his garment? Now, remember how you perceive him. It works this way that the vestment of the high priest was a long priestly robe or an ephod. It was sleeveless. And the lower of the lower hem of the garment was fringed with golden bells and uh, alternated with pomegranate shaped tassels in blue, purple and scarlet. These bells and pomegranates represented the grace the glory, the majesty and the power of God. She had perceived in her heart, if this is my high priest, all I need to do is to touch the hem of his garment and I connect to the grace, the glory, the power and the majesty of my God. That revelation that she had in that moment. Again, how do we perceive him? Is he my father? Is he the judge? Is he the king? Is he the lawgiver? Is he creator? Is he the Lord? What facet of this? But she was able to say, if I can just touch him, he's the healer, he's the high priest. He connects to heaven and I will draw from the virtue of heaven just by touching him. So think. The woman says if there is but a crumb, the crumb from the master's table is sufficient to meet my need, even though we have a banquet. I don't need him to touch me as long as I can get to a position where I can touch him. And this isn't all about how spiritual you are, how super I prayed and fasted for 40 days. I lost all of this weight. I did this. I did the other. I beat myself up to try and show how spiritual I was. There was a desperation in people that says, I know that he is willing and he is able if I move towards him. If he moves towards if I move towards him, he moves towards me. Now, here's the thing. We often read that story in isolation. If you read it in Matthew, I think it's Matthew nine. But if you read it then in Matthew 14, I think it is Matthew 14, it says this. And when the men of the place recognized him, they sent word to all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick. And they pleaded with him that they might just touch the border of his cloak. And all who touched him were cured. What one woman did set something in place for everybody else to follow. She said and they found out the story must have gone along the grapevine. He didn't even pray for her. He didn't lay hands on her. We've normally seen it. Do you remember that man in the marketplace? He spat on the ground. He got the mud. He rubbed it in his hands, rubbed it in his face. What about the fellow he told to go and wash it the well? What about this man? And all those stories. Do you know what? She only touched his cloak. If she touched his cloak, she was well. That news spread so fast and so abroad 
that everybody who is able to touch Buddy's cloak was cured. As we said, healing is the children's bread. The Lord, the maker, the creator of heaven and earth. But here's the thing that I deal with in my own self. So I'll tell you about me and you can deal with you as you deal with you. How easy it is to hear that when he's a healer, I then restrict that healing. So what do I mean by restrict the healing? Oh, we know he, he heals the sick because I can see these things in scripture. But who said that his healing virtue finished that sickness? So let me change context for you. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So there is God on his throne, the one who is just, the one who is mighty, the one who is gracious. He's got his grace. He's got his um his power to save. He's got all power. All of those things that we've seen that's in there turns around and said, if my people. So now let's get it conditional. If so, God's waiting to respond. The issue is not that he can. It's not that he won't. He's waiting for a people to respond. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, one, pray, two, seek my face three and turn from their wicked ways Four, I will hear from heaven and I will heal, heal their land. Now, we didn't turn around and say, go and empty your bank account. He didn't turn around and say, right, what we all need is a mother to raise a ministry. He said, what we need is my people to put these things into place, to call out to me and start to move towards me and I will move towards you. Have you ever wondered why God had set up at the start of this year just how important prayer walking was? That when he's turning around and saying he knows ahead of time what was coming, he's never taken by surprise. So he says, Dream Center, in your position of being a governing house, will you water the ground of Tameside? Will you water the grounds of Greater Manchester that we can keep it and that a healing Balm of Gilead can almost flow through that town that can keep it, can hold it, can maintain it, but not also put seeds in the ground. So when the water of heaven starts to fall, there will be a harvest of salvation to spring up in all of these things. It wasn't just a well, I know that you all need a bit of uh, exercise. So Pastor Tony and the oldest eldership say, right now, what we want is how can we get everybody off the backsides? I know. Why don't we start doing prayer walking? Because at least they'll get the 500 steps a day. Maybe they'll get to a couple of thousand. No, there's something where ahead of time, God is setting something in our hearts to partner with him for preparation for the healing one to bring healing to our city. I don't know about you. Last week, in that best of times, worst of times, I had to go into Drolsden. And the comment was this. Where's Rolston? I walk through the precincts, every other shop boarded up, empty, up for sale, up for lease. 
nothing there. The hub of where we are has already gone without it getting even worse. And you start to cry, God, you have to. You've got to start moving on our town. We have to have a position, Lord God, where we can still have jobs, that there can still be a future for people, that there's hope for our kids and the next generation that's follow. As we said, we're that governing house. Now, here's a statement that I will make. I will not bring clarity to the statement. I'll maybe do it on another day. As the watchman of the city, we join with the watchers of the city to see what God will do. The watchmen of the city are joining with the watchers of the city. I'll leave that one with you. That's a Brucey bonus that we'll have for another day. So let's move on. So the healer is already touching the nations. He says that if we'll humble ourselves, he'll bring he'll bring uh, revival and restoration. What about this from Hosea 14 and verse four? If you cry to me, I will heal your waywardness. So when you flip flopping, when you're in, you're out, when you love him, when you don't love him, when you backslid, when you front slid, when you're somewhere in between, when you're hot, when you're cold, whatever it is, God says, if you cry out to me, I will heal your waywardness. That, that incidence of your first love, the place of drawing near to him, when everything seems so simple, when it all was so clear. In that moment when the burdens of my soul washed away on that day when you met him for the first time, when you had that starry eyed look of first love, when you found him, that somewhere got down to the mundane of, oh, it's him again. All of that, your waywardness, as we cry to him, he turns around and says, I can restore your heart. I can restore the first love. I can restore your joy. I can restore the hope. All of that is put in. And that's all part and parcel of children's bread. So another one for you. We're on a roll. What about Psalm 23 and verse three? And he restores my soul. Another will, word for that. Now, I know that you're all into it because you all love it. The repair shop. So you've all been watching the repair shop. You've got granddad's old banjo from under the stairs. You're going to send it off and see what job they can do. You found that old antique that all means something to you. This restoration or healing process to make new, to make good is when he turns around and says, I will make good. I will heal. I will restore your soul. So everything that Pastor Tony and the team have been talking about, about soul health, my mind, my will, my emotional state, all of those things. When we've talked about the dark places, the mad person who lives in your attic, all of those issues that we face, all of those instances, I will restore and make good your soul. God, the end of my prayer today, my God. My bread, children's bread, is that my soul will be healthy. My mind will be healthy. My emotions will be healthy. My body will be healthy. My nation can be healthy. My waywardness can be healthy. In all of these aspects, that when we see him, even the woman who says she wasn't even a believer, says the crumb that comes to me is sufficient. And that's not taken into account. The very fact of the healing to yours or my body. 
the one he says about that when we press into him, the issues poured out. So let me come to that state again. Is God and does God want to heal you? Does he want you to have a healthy mind? Does he want you to have a healthy, healthy emotions? Does he want you to be healthy in your body so that the holistic God dealing with body, soul and spirit wants you to be whole? He wants me to be whole. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a wish. It's not wishful thinking. It's your and my children's bread that we can draw on and bring back to the table. So let me read you this scripture. Matthew 8 verses 1 to 4. When he had come down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing. So there's a question. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing be clean, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony for him. If you're willing, yes, I'm willing. There is no instance that Jesus Christ could not deal with. No instance at all. So we turn around and say, oh, it's leprosy. Oh, well, well, look at these things. Well, we've what about AIDS? What about COVID? What about what about there is no restriction to what he can and can't do? Oh, what about holding my thoughts? What about mental capacity? What about mental capacity? He can touch my mind in a moment. What about the man who they had to hold in chains? And they turned around and said, Jesus touched him and instantly he was clothed and in his right mind. In that moment, he can touch us. He is willing. What is waiting for you and me to do is to ask the question without going to it too far over here. Blind Bartimaeus, what would you have me do for you? Hang on a minute. It might be in my name. I'm known as Blind Bartimaeus. Oh, I was thinking I've got this Veruca and it's, it's, a, it's a beggar. It's a back. Oh, my, oh, can't get my shoes on. My feet, ankles are swollen. My name is Blind Bartimaeus. Lord, I want to receive my sight. He's waiting for you and I to come to him as our children's bread and say, my God, you can touch my mind. You can touch my issue. The woman with the issue of blood, what's your issue this morning? What's your label that's on something that you can come and touch him again? Now, I had this mad thought. Now, I'm a lot older than many of you. But I had this mad thought. Lady Diana wasn't just the first person to reach out to fit and touch somebody with a bare hand who didn't fit into society. All of the media at the time turned around and said, Lady Diana had the strength, the power, the courage to touch a person who had AIDS with her bare hand and not with a stick. Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper and says, I'm willing. It doesn't matter your condition, how bad and how worse people think it is. One touch from the master. He's still willing to touch what others said they won't touch. He reaches out to where you are uh, at this moment in time. So shall I grab and clasp the nettle just for a moment? It is true that he is the healer, but it's also true that not all get healed. Just allow that bad smell to sink into the room just for a moment. 
it's the great mystery, isn't it? But yet, even in that great mystery of whether you were healed or whether you wasn't healed, can I say it is well with my soul? Scripture says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Without a trial, there's no testimony. Without a battle, there's no victory. Without the cross, there's no crown. There's stuff that you and I go through, stuff that we face. Now, let me also hold this in understanding this journey of understanding God, knowing him. This dynamic of we can say this, that he's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. But miss the very fact that he walks with me in the middle. He doesn't just exist at the beginning of time and at the end of time. He walks with me in my daily plight, in my daily comings and goings, in my trials and tribulations, in the issues that I face, in my ups and downs. He's still there walking with me and walking in it. Now, I say this to you. When I turned around and said that not all are healed, we understand that. But in this great mystery, everybody that Jesus ever touched was healed. Jesus never, ever had a failed case. The disciples had failed cases, but Jesus never had a failed case. Now, here's the thing of why we need each other. When we see the gifts of the spirit. One of the gifts of the spirit is the gifts of healing. It's plural and not singular. The man Christ Jesus, our high priest, the firstborn amongst many sons, us, the second Adam, was able to hold and maintain that healing virtue for everything. For us, we have the gifts of healing. So that might mean Andy flows in the faith and grace to touch the blind, to see people coming out of wheelchairs. Then Chris comes along and he prays for people with COVID. And then Delma comes along and she deals with cancer. And then add those lists together. Everything is being covered. But the virtue held in one man is not no longer held in one man. It's held in one body. It's one body. The head holds all of the virtue. The body holds the different facets together. Now, Pastor Tony told you a few weeks ago, he turned around and said, in these times of desperation, that when you see things, God has his habit of breaking out on the scene. And he remembered, didn't he? And he mentioned to you Smith Wigglesworth. Remember Smith Wigglesworth? He was the great revivalist. He was known as the apostle of faith. That's what he was known as. Now, he was, if you read it, great book. If you've got it, I've got it on my shelf here. We'll pull it out. Seven Pentecostal Pioneers. It's an old one, one of your old ones there, Pat, from the bookshop, still yellow from where I've had it. I think you were smoking at the time. But either way, the Seven Pentecostal Pioneers, and it's the story there of Smith Wigglesworth. And if you get it, you read it, you can, you'll find it on YouTube. You'll find, just Google it, these elements. He was a plumber from Bradford. He was illiterate. He couldn't read. He comes to Christ. He gets saved from his wife. He gets this touch. He starts to learn to read. He starts to become this preacher. But in it, at this time of his height of starting to rise. Now, remember, he's classed as the apostle of faith. He gets struck down with sickness in his own body. Now, they've got this kind of agreement between themselves that says, do you know what? 
we're not going to call on the doctors. And it's like, which I believe is great. You might have ultra faith, but you also don't be an idiot. The pendulum has to swim both ways. He gives us doctors and medication for a reason. Yes. So they turn around and said, you know what? It's got really bad. We'll have to call him. So he's rolling around in pain. They called the doctor and they said, he's got a burst appendix. This appendix has been, it looks like, for nearly six months. Put your house in order. Call the family. He's not going to last through the night. So he's got this situation where he's not going to last through the night. The doctor goes to get some more other people. An old lady comes in who's known for being a woman of prayer and her nephew. They come in. They start to pray for him that God will heal him and touch him. Instantly, virtue hits him. He jumps to his feet and he says, I'm healed. And he says, remember, he's a plumber. He says to his wife, woman, are there any jobs in? She said, well, there's this job coming. He got his tool bag and went to go and do the job. The doctor returns and says, where is he? His wife's following up the stairs, said he's gone to go to work. And they said he will return a corpse. That was 40 years before he died. But yet in this instance, he found a place of finding the healer. I give you this for a reason. His wife dies. He comes back. His wife has died and she was everything to him. That's the way that it's written. His wife is everything. She is the love of his life. In his despair, he picks her up and calls her back to life. She breathes and opens her eyes and puts his hand on his face. And she says, Smith, the Lord has called me. And he said, if the Lord wants you, it's not my job to hold you. And he lets her go and she passes back. So he sees the dead raised. He's seen his situation of where he's been. You read through history of the cancers that were dealt with. There was nothing that he didn't deal with in his own life. But yet. Two instances. His own daughter, Alice, who took the place of his wife, who traveled with him on his ministries, became sick and became deaf. She was stone deaf. No matter how many times he prayed for her, she never, ever was healed. But this is the apostle of faith who raised his wife from the dead, who saw his own thing, who saw cancers, who saw blind, who saw the stories of a man with a no foot, who had a bone at the end of his leg, put his bone into a shoe for them to remove the shoe with a fully grown foot in it. Couldn't touch his own daughter. That in his own time, as he went, he was stricken with kidney stones. And those of us who's had a kidney stone know what it was like. And it was said he would roll around in pain and agony on the floor, then raise up, walk through the door and preach the healing gospel and salvation of Jesus Christ, seeing hundreds saved at any time, seeing healing dynamics, cancers and everything else, but not being touched with his own issue. This is the mystery of healing of God. But yet, as we said before, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well, 
it is well with my soul. It's not that he can't do it. It's not that he's not willing. It's not that he's not in a position to say, I no longer do that. He's reaching out to you and me today. It is my portion. It's part of the covenant. It's the children's bread where you and I can draw on that on a daily basis. But while I am waiting, I hold this position that says whatever I go through in my own life, in my own body is this. I believe that God will do what he will do, but I must do what I must do. So I don't act like an idiot. So if I turn around and so they told me some time ago about that whole thing of, oh, we found by accident that you have uh, diabetes. I go, my God, by your stripes, I am healed. The scripture turns around and said, Lord, heal me and I will be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. Lord, that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can bring life to my mortal body. But while that goes on and while I'm waiting for the fulfillment of that, I will take this little pill that says I'm not going to go into a coma. I'm not going to have a stroke, go blind or lose my feet. Oh, but Phil, are you living in, in unbelief? No, I believe that there was a time of wisdom. There's a time of foolishness. If God said to me, right, Phil, this is time to stop that, then I'm stopping. But until he says something different, I'm saying, my God, every day I'm reaching out to touch the hem of your garment. Every day I'm having the crumb from your table. But do you know what? You also gave me doctors and you gave us surgeons and you gave us people of counsel and you gave us wisdom that we can tap into that can help me through this life, through this time, through this situation that I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But Lord, I know that they can bring medication, but only you can bring me health. You are the healer. My doctor is not my healer, is the road to something. The pharmaceutical companies do not hold me. He's the one who holds me. It turns around and said, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to play. My times are in your hands. They can say to you, you've got six months. You've only got six months if he says you've got six months. Where are we going? We press in. We're pressing into this God. So let me have a final thought for you. I turned around and said that this message, and I've not really touched on it, was a message of redemption as well as a message of healing of the children's bread. So I'll make this statement to you. Peter, we all know the apostle, the apostle and the disciple Peter, don't we? We read in scripture is his good days and his bad days. The good, the bad and the ugly we see of Peter. But we saw this in so many times. Peter failed in his following. Shall I name them just a few for you to give you some marks down? Poor Peter must be sat in heaven going, when are you ever going to think of somebody else apart from me messing up? He's on the mountain where he shouldn't be. And he turns around and says, Jesus, shall, shall I build three tabernacles? And it's like, Peter, will you take your foot out of your mouth and just shut up and just observe what you're going to do? He's the one that turns around and says, who do people say that I am? You're the Christ. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. I must go to the cross. Never, Lord, it'll not happen. Get behind me, Satan. How we went from mountaintop. So now being Satan's best number one representative in one conversation, you then turn around and said, Lord, I'll never deny you. And we know how that one worked out. 
What about when he's in the garden and the old Peter turns up? He said, oh, so it's a fight you want. And he cuts off the ear of the servant and Jesus has to heal it again for him. It's like Peter, whine your neck in. What about when he's on the rooftop and God reveals to him this awesome revelation of the food being placed down? And he turns around and said, Peter, up and eat. No, Lord. No, because Moses said we shan't. Peter, I don't know if you know, I'm Moses's boss. And what I say overrules Moses He's held in that position. What about when he turns around and he gets on the bandwagon with Paul and he's out dealing with all Oslo, all the Gentiles, the non-Jews until the Jews turn up. And then he goes, oh, we don't have anything to do with them because I am a good old Jew. And Paul has to rebuke him for being a hypocrite to his face. You are a hypocrite for where you come from. So why do I say that in this all that he failed to follow? He failed in his following. His crowning glory was this, that wherever he came from, whatever he did, whatever the lot of his life, the ups and downs, his crowning glory is that Peter never failed to follow. He failed in his following but he never failed to follow. So when I understand the ups, the downs, Lord, I don't know where I'm up to today. My future's in your hands. No, it's not. I take it in. I take it out. I'm well. I'm unwell. It is well with my soul. It's not well with my soul. The roof's caving in. I'm like chicky licky. All of heaven's dropping on my head. Why me, Lord? Do you ever get those why me moments? Well, I'll be honest, I get those why me moments sometimes where you sat there and go, why me? Do you not think, Lord, that I might have had me enough portion for the last six months? Why not give it somebody else? Uh, why not? When do I get any break? When's my lottery numbers coming out? When's my, <laughs> it's always that moment. Then you have a word with yourself. Then you come back, you bring yourself back into centre. Or maybe you've got a good friend like Andy who goes... Get yourself back in order, you idiot. And you have a bit of a word. Somebody gives you a bit of a shake. But yet it's in this position of the more I understand him, the more I find of discover who he is, I find my place. I understand. What was it said in that song? I know who I am because I know whose I am. And I understand that he's just. I understand that, yes, do you know what? I go through some stuff, but he believes I'll come through the other side. I know that he's just. I know that he's righteous. I know that I'm not a pawn in a game. I know that I'm bought with a price. I know that I'm beloved. I know that he's for me and not against me. All of these aspects bring all of this rubbish of the storms of life and start to bring it into alignment. And I know whether it is my nation, my mind, my health, my waywardness, all of that in him is my portion of my daily bread. It's children's bread to draw from him. So I make this final bow. We have a nephew and our nephew has suffered from um mental health issues for a few years. Some of you will will no doubt know about the situation when Anne just spoken or we've spoken maybe privately to, to you before. And he's taught and he's got this almost a death wish is what I would say it. 
And the death wish is, I'll be dead before Christmas. No, it says, I've got a brain tumour. No, my heart's going to fail. No, I've got stomach cancer. If you think of anything, I don't know how many times he's had COVID in the last six months. And it was like, he's not even had a, a cold and he's had COVID. It's like, whatever you've got, his mental position holds in this place. And he was there and he sits waiting for death to take him because he believes that is his lot. Now, I had this thought yesterday. If it was true and it came to you, God forbid, and somebody said you've got six months left. I kind of decided and I said to Ange in my own soul and that if I have the conversation and the opportunity for the households to come together over Christmas, I'll maybe have a conversation with him. That if it was true that you've got six months left. Is what's known of you that you moped and sat on the sofa feeling sorry for yourself as you have for the last three years? Or are you going to turn around and go, I'm grabbing life by the scruff of the neck. and I'm doing everything they say I can't do. I'm going to be everything they say I can't be. And I'm going out like a champion. If I'm going out, I'm going out standing up, not going out with a whimper. I'm going out with a shout of the king on my lips. I'm going out still saying he's a champion. I'm saying rip open that doorway of heaven because Clark's turning up. You better make way because he's bringing his pointy stick with him. Whatever it is, I'm coming. I'm coming. But I'm not going with a whimper. I'm not going out in any kind of just the, no one's pulling the pug out of your balloon. Because everything we have in life is knowing that he is willing, that he is able, is able to touch me, is able to touch every situation, that whatever label a doctor puts on it, it's not big enough. Because when you hear that name, so let's just throw one out. So turn around and say, right, the doctor turns around and says cancer. So what? He said he's been given a name above all names. His name is bigger than cancer. His name is bigger than COVID. His name is bigger recession. His name is bigger than divorce. His name is bigger than mental health. It's bigger than depression. It's bigger than anxiety. It's bigger than schizophrenia. Whatever name you want to put, he has a name that's bigger. And that is the one that when you and I will be in a position to reach out and touch the hem of his garment, that's the one that we draw on. Amen. Amen. Dave, if you would, please.
He's our healer. He's sufficient. He's all powerful. He's everything that we need. Yes. I understand that in everything that we've talked about this morning, we're looking there to say that I understand that even a crumb is sufficient. I'm not settling for a crumb. I want the best of his table for me. But even a crumb, if he gives me a crumb, it's a crumb. Now, I know from all of you, there'll be people where you're looking and saying you need healing yourself. There's healing for others at different levels of, of sickness of where they're at. We know that Paul's been down uh, with a, almost like a, a second reflux after after COVID. There's different situations. You know, John, you had a bit of a, a knockback. We're feeling a bit under the weather and stuff. So what we're going to do, we're going to put some principles in place. So the principles in place work like this. Now, remember when they said that they couldn't lay hands on people when we said about Smith Wigglesworth when he was in Norway. So they had a new dynamic in heaven and the dynamic in heaven is OK. It's time to lay hands on yourself. Not only do you lay hands on yourself as we lay hold of the promise, but there's also this that look at how many instances through the Gospels where somebody came to Jesus on behalf of someone else. So it's not even, well, I, well, I don't feel uh, like I need anything this morning. What you can do is be the intermediary, the bridge, the gap between those who do. OK, so we know that Nimrod, you send is a situation of somebody who's ill, who's very ill, that needs a touch. There's many others that we know who are ill and need the touch at this moment in time. Now, what we're not going to do is just have everybody praying because it'll just be bouncing around all over the place. So we'll have a corporate prayer of agreement that we'll pray together in a minute. But we already have history. We already have testimony of even two ladies that I'm looking at on screen at the minute, whether it's Shirley or whether it's Jean, where God can reach out and he can touch a heart, can touch a life, can deal with anything. We have got so many instances, whether it's Zine Tembi and the girls up there. Hey, your story. All heaven declares where your story comes from. And you can reach out and go, yeah, and that was me. And this was me. And this was me. We know that he's the healer. We know he's all sufficient. So this morning, just as we finish, if you want to either lay a hand on yourself or just reach your hand towards the screen, because we're saying we're standing in the gap for others. And we're saying, my God, not only you can physically heal, you can heal waywardness, Lord God. You can bring souls back into alignment. Let's pray for minds to be touched this morning. Let's pray for emotional states to be made whole. Say, Lord God, again, wherever we are, whether it's this nation here or the nations that we come from and represent, we say, my God, still be a healing balm into those nations. Still give us hope and a future. Amen. Amen. So come on, let's just do that right now as we start to declare. Father, we thank you for the facets of what we've been seeing this morning, that Lord God, healing is the children's bread. Yeah. And Lord God, Father, we do start to reach out now yeah. that Lord, like that woman who touched the hem of your garment, she touched your grace, she touched your glory, she touched your power, she touched your mercy. And Lord God, Father, we pray the lady who said just a crumb from your table is sufficient. And Lord God, I pray for every life, for every sickness. Lord God, we even pray, Father, as I just seen in the corner of my eye for Paul, I pray that his lungs will be whole. I pray, Father, his breathing will be back. Father, we rebuke any infection right now. Father, for the situation with Nimrod and the, the people that he knows, Lord God, we pray a divine touch from heaven. I pray, Lord, that even next week there'll be a testimony to say, Lord God, the person we pray for, there was such a divine 
transformation and turnaround in that situation. Lord God, for every life that's represented here, my God, you are all sufficient. You are the one. And I pray, my God, the Holy Ghost that brought the same, uh, that reigned in Jesus Christ, brought him back to life, will reign in our bodies to bring life to our mortal bodies right now. Lord God, we pray for that hedge of protection. We pray for your healing hand. We pray for breakthroughs. We pray for testimony, Lord God. And Father, we declare that you are good that you are awesome. And the Lord God, Father, whatever our state, it has taught us to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Amen.